How many glad we got a family that loves each other? I mean, really, come on. How many glad we really got a family that loves each other? We genuinely do care about one another, and one person can't do everything, but all of us can do a whole lot of something for the glory of God. Amen? So today what we're going to talk about as we continue our 40 days of community, we're going to talk about building healthy relationships. We're, we, we, we've kind of clarified over the last couple weeks that when the church grows stronger and healthier within, it helps us to have greater influence and impact without. A healthy church within is an influential church without. And the stronger we become in community, the greater impact we will have in our community for the glory of God. Because we are a church, I mean, no Liberty Church exists to reach out and raise up, and we're going to what? Win souls. Oh, that was weak. We're going to do what? We're going to. All right, that's still kind of weak, but I'm going to give you a pass on that one. You know what? We're glad you're here, and I'm glad to be a part of a church that is committed to the Great Commission, committed to loving people, and committed to making a difference. And that really does happen in the context of community. So I want you to look with me in Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to read through uh, Philippians chapter 2. We're going to see several verses today from this one chapter, uh, but I want to start in verse 1 and 2. Look, listen to what the Apostle Paul says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Is there any comfort from His love? Is there any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy. I want you to hear that little phrase. Make me truly happy. This is the heart of a spiritual father. How many know that moms and dads, the greatest thing that a kid can do for a mom and dad is get along with each other. Come on, somebody. How many of you have ever had your mom or your dad? Usually it's mama, right? Mama says, I wish, what do you want for Christmas, mama? I just want everybody to get together, and I want everybody just to get along. Get along. Listen, listen to what Paul says. He says, make my heart truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, by loving one another, and by working together with one mind and one purpose. So look at that first point. I want you to see this. Life-giving community only happens in the context of healthy relationships. Life-giving community only happens in the context of healthy relationships. And as we begin to cultivate relationships, as we begin to grow together, as we begin to build friendships together, we pray together, we laugh together, we love together, we serve together. I had a great time with the guys this weekend as we were in Gulfport, Mississippi at the conference. And on one of the breaks, I got together with a group of the guys, and they had this crazy board game, and we played this game, and I won, by the way. And so we played a game, and we had lots of fun together. We laugh, we cut up, we enjoyed just being together. We ate a bunch of unhealthy food. And uh, had a great time doing it. But how many of you understand that really life-giving community uh, really only happens in that context of healthy relationships? And, and so when you look at that next little statement, I want you to see this. So what we have received from Jesus, I want you to hear what Paul said to the Philippian church. What we have received from Jesus, we should extend to others. I, I want to read verse 1 again. He says, is there any encouragement for belonging to Christ? Is there any comfort from his love? Is there any fellowship in the spirit? Have your hearts received his tender mercy and his compassion? Then this is what he says. Share that with others. Right? What Jesus has done for you, we need to extend that to other people. 
What I love about being a Christian and having a real relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, is there is real encouragement in Christ. When you're discouraged, when you're down, how many of you know that God will minister to you, that God will comfort you, that God will encourage you, that God will strengthen you? When you're all alone and nobody else is there, He's with you. And this is what He says. If you've ever received anything from God, any encouragement, any comfort, any strength, any mercy, any compassion, then share that with others. How many of you know that's what community is? Community is simply sharing with each other what God has given to us. The encouragement, the love, the strength, the support of having somebody to love you and stand with you during not just the difficult times, but even in the good times. Because how many know that good times are better when they're shared with other people? Good times are better when they're shared with other people. And difficult, hard Challenging times not only become endurable, but God is able to take the most challenging moments of our life through the context of community and use them in such a transformational way that we become better and stronger than we could have ever been on our own. Amen? So at this time, I want you all to do this. I want to welcome Cherie Vandergriff. Y'all give her a great big round of applause. And I've asked Miss Cherie to share with us uh, her testimony of why community matters. So y'all give her your ear this morning. Hello. Um, so the Rudy Church has been my home since 2017. And God's timing is always on time, right? <laughs> so at this time, we were not actually looking for a church home. But because I was determined to move back to Georgia. Um, so I'm just going to do a little backstory here. Um, my husband, Alan, and I met in a small town in Georgia um, in 2006. By March of 2007, we were married. We had our first child and had decided to move to Alabama for a better job opportunity for Alan. The next 10 years following this move was very hard on me. Um, we ended up moving seven times, and in between each of the moves, I would seek within my community for people I could, I could draw near to and not feel so homesick. I never seemed to really connect with anyone among the first six moves that we made. But I tried, but it just wasn't there. So naturally, I assumed there was something wrong with me. I went through spouts of depression, not feeling needed or loved, and I let anger get the best of me. In 2017, I was so lonely and missing my family in Georgia that I was determined to find a way back to move, uh, a way to move back to Georgia. But God, he had other plans for me and put a roadblock in my path. My brother-in-law, Ramsey, told us of this great, friendly, southern-hugging, down-to-earth church, Liberty, <laughs> that, we could, that we just had to try. So we decided to give it a go while we were in the waiting for my move. I'll never forget the many hugs that I received on my first visit. I felt so loved and like I was already family. These hugs and warm smiles is something that my soul was desperately seeking. Then we were invited to the encounter fall of 2017. I was undecided about it because really I just wanted to move back to Georgia. I didn't want anything getting in the way but God. He put it in my father-in-law's heart to sponsor us. My mother-in-law stepped in to watch the kids, so we really didn't have an excuse. This encounter weekend right here changed everything. I found my church home. 
I found my community of friends that my life was missing. But most importantly, I rediscovered my relationship with God and learned how to to form a deeper relationship with him, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. That bond that I had formed from this community of believers had been, has been there from us when we needed them most. In March of 2020, things changed for us as it did for many people in the world. Allie and I just decided that the best move for us was to stay at home as much as possible. This was very hard for me as I had grown accustomed to seeing and spending time with friends that I had grown close to. Plus, I had an external personality, so staying cooped up at the house was just emotionally and spiritually hard for me. But this community did not disappoint. Changes were made to accommodate our family's choices so that we could still be a part of work in small groups. During this season, I joined Chastity's online small group, Godfidence. <laughs> And through this group, I grew a deeper relationship or deeper connection to God, let some walls of fear fall, and received the strength to get through to the next day, the next week. So I have had the pleasure for five now, five years now of being a part of Chris and Tiffany Johnson's team and Entre Team. And everyone there went above and beyond to make sure that I was involved with the daily morning prayer meetings and events. Chris made it a point to meet with me to, re- to review my client load on Zoom a couple times a week, and there were times this meeting would turn into him keeping me grounded and lifting me up. I can't even tell you how many times he's come on the call with me sobbing, wanting this season to be over. I would leave from the morning prayer meetings and meetings with Chris, knowing that this was just the season and that it would be a time to reflect on how God changed my life. At the moment, I didn't see how this season was going to change my life, but then September of 2021 came. That virus ended our house, and I was put in the hospital on a vent, thinking I wasn't going to come out of the hospital alive, but God. This was the part of the season that was going to stretch us all. My family and I went through one of the hardest journeys that we have ever faced, but because of this community lifting us up in prayer, being there for us when we needed the most, we did not have to face this alone. Our community of friends was standing there in the gap for us, Praying fervently, we had support emotionally, physically, financially, and spiritually. So I'll end on this. If you don't have a community of friends that you can turn to to battle the storms of life with you, now is the time to join a small group to develop that relationship. These relationships can be a matter of life and death. I can honestly say that I'm standing here today because my community stood in the gap for me, and I'll be forever thankful to each and every one of you. Amen. All right, Sri, I want to ask you one question. As you shared your story and talked about going through all those situations, let me ask you, what do you think your life would have looked like in those seasons without that community of faith? Um, Well, you know, because I found Liberty Church, um, I was able to release the anger. I was able to find that missing piece to release the anger. But if I hadn't have found a closer relationship to God and went through that, se- that season without this community, then I would have let anger continually just build in me. And um, I probably would have taken it out on my family and just went into a deeper depression. So I am very thankful for this community. I'm thankful for this church. And um, just most of all, I'm just thankful for God and the miracle he performed. Amen. Amen. Come on, one more round of applause. We love you, sir.
Sheree made such a wonderful statement there at the end. She said, life and death can literally be determined by the relationships that we have. As she was in the hospital on the ventilator, it was great to know for her family and for her there were people praying. And I want to just encourage us in this. Our 40 days of community, we're a couple weeks into it, but I want to invite you, if you have not yet connected with one of our small groups, some of our groups have filled up, but we have many groups that are still open and available. We want to make room for every person to get connected. Because when you go through those moments, you don't need people just thinking about you. You need somebody praying for you. You need somebody interceding for you. You need somebody coming alongside, not just you, but your family, with encouragement and with support and with help, no matter what that looks like. I'm just going to tell you today, right here is where you find it. You find that community in the church, and you find it when you take the next step beyond Sunday morning. I love Sunday morning. But community happens in the context of small groups. And so I want to encourage you. There's a form out on the information center that lists all of our small groups. You can go to our website. You can go to our app. You can go to our social media. We've made it as accessible as we can make it. And we would love for you to get connected this week if you are not connected to a group. Because what Cherie shared with us this morning is something that every single person needs in their life. And that's relationships that stand with us, no matter what's going on in our life. Amen? Let's give her one more round of applause this morning. So I've got just a few minutes to wrap up here today. So I want to talk about building healthy relationships. I want to give you four very practical keys to building healthy relationships. Because if life-giving community only happens in the context of relationships, then we need to learn how to build and cultivate those relationships. So look at that next point on your outline. Selfishness destroys relationships, but selflessness builds them. Selfishness destroys relationships, but selflessness builds those relationships. Philippians 2, we're going to look at verse 3 and 4. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. Don't be selfish, right? We ought to put that on the refrigerator. Can I get an amen from somebody? Don't be selfish. Everybody in this room, I want you to do something. Don't look at your neighbor. (laughs) But I want you to think about the most selfish person you know. Again, don't look. If you're married, surely don't look at your spouse, okay? Think about, but really, seriously, think about the most selfish person you know. And this is what I can tell you about that person. They don't have any real life-giving relationships. As a matter of fact, they're probably living life all alone. Because when I live out of a self-centered, selfish mentality, and I think everything and everybody ought to revolve around me, That selfishness automatically pushes people away. It's kind of like that little vacuum sign. I love to use this illustration, right? When you get around a selfish person, you can almost, they walk in the room and you can almost hear them sucking the life right out of the room. Because it's all about me and it's all about what I want and it's all about what I think and it all is about me. And they live their lives thinking only about 
themselves. And we understand, right? We understand that selfishness is a self-destruct button that you and I mash that blows up and destroys relationships. But if you flip the coin, let's talk about what it means to be selfless. Let's talk about what it means to, to give of ourselves. The Apostle Paul, I think, does a beautiful job kind of giving some words, some verbiage to what it means to live a selfless life. Look what he says. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Look what he says. Be humble. We're going to talk about humility in just a minute, a little more. Be humble. And then he says this, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Now, thinking of others as better than myself doesn't mean I have to think less of me. It just means I place value on you. When I think of others as better than myself, I recognize that every person that I meet has value. They have worth. And I'm going to think about you as being better than me. You, you know something I don't know. You have something that I need. You are valuable and you are credible and you have worth because you're somebody. John Maxwell has a little quote that I love. He says, when he meets somebody for the first time, he says, you know, we kind of have this little scale. We kind of rate people, you know, one maybe being the person we really don't like and 10 maybe being that top person. He said, when I meet somebody for the first time, he said, I automatically put a 10 on their head. He said, I go into the relationship believing they have value and they have worth. And let me tell you what's crazy. When you treat people like they have value and worth, they will rise to your expectation. And when you treat them like they're worthless, they will fall <laughs> to your expectation. And so all of a sudden, the Apostle Paul says, hey, if we're going to have healthy relationships, if we're going to really cultivate a community that's life-giving, then we've got to be willing to be selfless. We've got to begin to think of other people as being valuable. We've got to think of them as better than ourselves. And then he goes on. Look at that next verse. Such, such powerful. I love the Word of God because it's so practical. He says, and don't only look out, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Don't just look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Let me give you a relationship 101 principle right here. Let me help you build relationships. One of the easiest ways to build a relationship and make a connection with somebody is find out what they are interested in and then show interest in it. Find out what they're interested in and then show interest in their interest. And you know what will happen? You'll build a bridge. You'll make a connection. Nobody wants to be around somebody that thinks the whole world revolves around them. But when you think about the closest people in your life, when you think about the friendships and relationships that you value, you know what? You value the people that value you. Let me say that again. You value the people that value you. And when you get around somebody that values you and they take an interest, not just in what they want, but they actually take an interest in what you want. They're interested in what you're interested in. All of a sudden, you build a bridge. You open a door of connection and community and relationship because I value the people that value me and so do you. Amen. And so the Apostle Paul is, is encouraging us to step into this selfless life where we begin to understand the value of valuing other people. Look at that next point. Pride destroys relationships, but humility builds them. Pride destroys relationships. The Bible says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. 
It's not hard, I don't think, for any of us in this room to understand that when you're around somebody that is prideful, they're arrogant, they're full of themselves, they always think they're right, they always know everything. How many of you know that most people don't like to be around a know-it-all? If you know it all, you're probably going to know it all all by yourself. Pride says I've got to have the first word and I've got to have the last word and I've always got to up your story. You ever told a story and there's always somebody in the room that has to up your story? You, you conquered a giant, they conquered two giants, right? You climbed a mountain, they climbed three mountains. Pride is always pushing for that value. I want you to, I want you to hear me today. Pride comes out of an insecurity in my heart and my life where if I don't value myself, I have to try to find value in others, and I have to present myself as being all that. And guess what? Pride doesn't attract people. Pride dispels people. Humility. You ever get around somebody that's humble? Somebody that honors your thoughts and your ideas? Somebody that doesn't always have to have the first word or the last word? Somebody that's just genuinely concerned in knowing you and being with you and hanging out with you and doing what we're doing and I don't have to be in charge all the time. Man, those are people that I like being around. Those are the people that fuel us. Those are the people that feed us, that come in with a humble spirit that says, I, I just value what God's doing here and I want to be a part of what God is doing. Listen to what Paul said Philippians 2. We're just going to read on there. Verse 5 through 8. He says, and you must have the same attitude that Christ had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. Let me tell you what pride does. Pride demands my privilege. Humility accepts my responsibility. Pride demands my privilege. I want my right. It's my right. I've got the privilege to say this. I've got the right to do this. That's pride. Pride is always stomping its foot and beating its hand because I want to be heard and I want to be seen and you're going to listen to me. And those are the people nobody listens to. <laughs> and those are the people everybody pulls away from. But humility, humility says I'm not going to demand my privilege. I'm going to accept my responsibility that I'm going to love people the way Jesus loved me. And I'm going to serve people because Jesus serves me. And I'm going to bless people because Jesus has blessed me. That doesn't mean you give people permission to walk all over you and stomp on you like a doormat. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about recognizing the value of cultivating healthy, life-giving relationships through a spirit of humility. Have the attitude that Christ had. Look what the Bible goes on to say. It says, he gave up his divine privilege. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. I saw something in this scripture I'd never seen before. So the Bible says that Jesus humbled himself as God and became a man. Think about that. As God, he humbled himself and became a man. And then once he became a man, he again humbled himself to be obedient unto death, the death of the cross. Jesus was and is the only innocent, perfect man. Jesus was the only one that could say, I don't deserve to die. The wages of sin is death, but Jesus never sinned. He could have demanded his privilege. I don't deserve to die. I'm innocent. And it would have been true. 
But he humbled himself as God and became a man. And then as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death on the cross. And I want you to think about this. We have a relationship with God today because Jesus humbled himself. If you remove, remove humility from the heart of Christ, me and you have no salvation. If Jesus did not humble himself, we would still be dead in our sins. If Jesus did not humble himself, we would not have a relationship with God. We'd still be on the outside looking in at what God has for us. But because of humility, because he was willing to serve and not be served, because he was willing to give and not just take, because he was willing to take the low road, (laughs) How many know sometimes taking the high road means you take the low road? (laughs) You go low. You come in to relationships and environments and people and places with with a heart of humility. That says, hey, I just want to show up and I want to belong. And it's amazing when you come in with a humble heart how people embrace that humility. The Bible says God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Let me tell you something. People do the same. People resist the proud and give grace to the humble. Isn't it amazing when somebody has a humble heart, you'll go the extra mile to have mercy and compassion on them. Somebody has a prideful spirit, I mean, you're going to hold them to the line. You know why? Because they're prideful and arrogant. We resist the proud, but we give grace to the humble. So part of cultivating healthy relationships is we just embrace that mindset, that attitude. I'm just going to walk in humility. And I'm going to just show up to show up and be a part of what God is doing. Not because I'm the smartest or the brightest, but because I believe God is doing something greater. I want to know you. And I want to be known. Amen? Look at that next point. Fear destroys relationships, but love builds them. Proverbs 29 verse 25 says, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be safe. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment, and he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Think about this. Fear destroys relationships. Why? Because the Bible says the fear of man brings a snare. Let me me tell you what happens. Let me walk this out for you real clearly. So if I'm afraid you're going to hurt me, or reject me, or ignore me, or, 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 or not accept me for who I am, The tendency that we have out of fear of being rejected is that we put on a mask. And we start to pretend to be something that we're not so we can gain the acceptance and approval of other people. The problem with that is that when you engage in a relationship through fear wearing a mask, the Bible calls wearing a mask, literally the Greek word is hypocrite. (laughs) A hypocrite is somebody that pretends to be something they're not. And when we put on these masks so people will accept us, so people will love us, so people will embrace us, let me tell you what happens. We don't realize this. The moment I put on the mask, I become a manipulator and a deceiver. Because I am now trying to manipulate you to accept me without showing you the real me. And I am a deceiver because I am pretending to be something I'm not. And here's the crazy thing. Even if you accept me, I still don't have a relationship because who you accepted is not the real me. 
Kelly, every encounter, tells our people at the encounter that Liberty Church is a hot church. We're hot. We're honest. We're open. And we're transparent. This is a safe place to be you. This is a safe place to be real. This is a safe place just to come as you are. How many know there's only one way to come to Jesus, and that's just as you are? And there's only one way to have healthy relationships, and that is to come just as you are. Love empowers us to be the person God created us to be. Love empowers us to drop down the walls and drop down the mask and stop hiding behind a facade of what we think people want us to be. Be real. Because what the love of God does is the love of God casts out all fear. And when you come to a place where you're no longer living in fear, not only can you be real, but you can then be transformed to become the person God is calling you to be. And we all need loving relationships because we're all still growing, we're all still maturing, and we're all still becoming the person God has called us to be. And love creates a safe place for maturity and growth To happen, fear creates a facade that keeps us ensnared because we're not able to be real and walk in who God has called us to be. Look at that last point, resentment. Resentment destroys relationships, but forgiveness builds them. Resentment destroys relationships, but forgiveness builds them. There's two great scriptures I want to share with you. Job chapter 5, verse 2. Listen to what the Bible says here. Surely resentment destroys the fool. Number one, the Bible calls us a fool for having resentment and bitterness in our heart. Because what does resentment do? It destroys us. Bitterness and resentment in our heart destroys us. You've heard us say many times at Liberty, if you have bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness in your heart, it's like drinking poison and wishing the other person would die, but they don't die, you do. So resentment and bitterness in our heart toward people, isn't it crazy? Sometimes we resent people we don't even know. We see them at church and they look like they got their life together. They really don't, but they look that way because we're following them on social media. Right? Right? And we know we got problems and we think they don't have problems and we automatically almost begin to resist them before we even know them. We have resentment in the heart. Well, they think they're better than me. You never even talk to them. I can't tell you how many times I've heard somebody say, well, you know that person, they just think they're better than everybody else. And I say, well, well, when did you talk to them? Well, I ain't never talked to them. Well, I know who the fool is. According to the Bible, I'm sorry, that's not me, that's the Bible. Well, I'm going to give you one more scripture. This is really good. God, God's word's pretty clear. Psalm 73, verse 21 and 22. Listen, listen to this. Since my heart was embittered and my soul deeply wounded. So let me stop right there. Understand, bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness come out of a wounded heart. The Psalms have said, I am embittered because I'm wounded. And the truth is, we've all been hurt and we've all been wounded. And we're going to talk about in just a second the power of forgiveness because we need to walk in forgiveness because we're all imperfect people serving a perfect God. And we do hurt people. Most of the time unintentionally. But we do hurt people. And we need the forgiveness of God. But here's what the Bible says. When there's embitterment in my heart, when I have resentment and bitterness in my heart because, my, in my heart because I've been wounded, listen to what the Scripture says. I was stupid and could not understand. I was like a brute beast in your presence. Now, I would never call you stupid, but the Bible does. 
Let me give you a definition of what the word stupid means. I want you to listen to this. It means unable to make intellectual decisions. Let me back up. It means I lose my intellectual ability to make good decisions. How many you know that when you have bitterness and resentment in your heart, you operate out of that wounded place and you lose your ability to make intellectual good decisions? You make decisions out of a broken place instead of out of a healed place. You make decisions out of resentment and bitterness instead of out of the logic and reason and direction of the Holy Spirit. And the revelation is this. When I, when I have bitterness and resentment in my heart, it, it cripples me. It cripples me because I can't even make good decisions. I can't even make good decisions. I can't see clearly the path that I need to take. And here's the crazy thing about bitterness and resentment. It doesn't just affect my ability to make good decisions regarding that person. It affects my ability to make good decisions regarding any person. And now I can't make relationship decisions and I can't make financial decisions. I can't even make good business decisions. Why? Because I've got this embitterment in my heart toward this other person. And it is slowly poisoning me. And it affects my ability to intellectually make good decisions. We tell people all the time, when you go through a traumatic moment in your life, Kelly is very good about doing this, specifically with people that have lost loved ones. She always says, don't make any major decisions for at least six months or a year. Why? Because when your heart's wounded, and you're grieving and you're broken and you're angry and you're frustrated and you're confused and you don't know what to think. You can't think. <laughs> and you need to be healed and you need to be restored and you need to receive grace and you need the mercy of God to be poured out upon you. You need the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And when all that happens and it just takes time, not because God's slow, but because we're slow at receiving it. And it takes time. And so don't make those decisions. Why? Because when you're in that moment, you can't make good decisions and so resentment sabotages all our relationships but forgiveness frees us I'm going to give you one last scripture Colossians chapter 3 verse 13 listen to what the Bible says it says make allowance for each other's faults now that does not mean condone sin make allowance for each other's faults how many know we all have faults that word means short shortcomings how many know that we all come short of the glory of God? <laughs> How many know that on our best day, we are still capable of saying and doing things we shouldn't say and do? On our best day, we're still capable of saying and doing things we ultimately regret doing many times immediately. <laughs> so we make, make allowances for each other's faults. Look what it says. And, and forgive anyone who offends you. Forgive anyone who offends you. Why? Because listen to what the rest of the scripture says. It says, remember that the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. We forgive because we're forgiven. We forgive because we're forgiven. And here's, here's what I know. There are some of you in this room that have carried around bitterness and resentment in your heart towards somebody that abused you or hurt you as a child. And because of that, you've never connected in real relationships with other people. You've been carrying this thing since you were a child. And you can honestly look at your life right now and you know right now that you have never really connected in genuine relationship with 
anybody. You've had work relationships or maybe even church relationships. You've had acquaintances, but you've never had those people that really you let in. And so the Bible says we forgive others because Christ forgave us. Why? Because forgiveness frees us, not them. They're still accountable for what they did. They're still going to have to answer to God for the things they did and said to you. But when you forgive them, it frees your soul. And I want to make one statement. I'm going to go ahead and ask our prayer team if they would. If you're part of our prayer ministry, if you would, let's just slip up to the front. This is what I want to ask you to do. I want to make one statement. The reality is simply this. It is impossible to have life-giving relationships without forgiveness. It's impossible to have life-giving relationships without forgiveness. Because we are all imperfect people serving a perfect God. And we all miss it. And we all come short of the glory of God. So today, I, I want to do this this morning. We're going to stand to our feet. If you will, go ahead and stand. Any other of our prayer team members, if you want to come. Stephen and Jennifer, why don't y'all slip right on up here with us this morning. Chris, Jennifer, thank you guys. I, I want to just open the altar. We're going to go into a final song of worship. and Maybe you're here today. And maybe, maybe you recognize, maybe there's some fear holding you back. Maybe there's some resentment or unforgiveness holding you back. Maybe you're just here today and you just say, Pastor Keith, I, I just I want to engage. I, I want to take that next step. And, and I, I just want somebody to pray with me this morning. Maybe you're walking through a valley today and you need encouragement and you need strength. We, we want to open the altar up for you this morning. Where, whatever you might need prayer for, today is the day. This is the hour. This is the moment. And God cares about you. So let's go into this song of worship, and as we worship Him, the altar's open. You come. It's great. You are my champion. Giants fall when you stand undefeated. Every battle you've won, I am who you say I am. Come on, let's sing that out. I am who you say I am.
Come on, let's take that authority today. Jesus has given me every wall crashing down. When I open up my mouth, miracles start breaking. Why don't you just start declaring your miracle today? Why don't you just start declaring that miracle that God has for you? Jesus has Why don't you start declaring that breakthrough, that healing, that redemption, that salvation? My voice Open your mouth this morning and begin to declare that you are who Jesus says you are. Down, that you're his son or his daughter. That you're chosen, that you're accepted, that you're loved. Jesus has you're not abandoned, you're not forsaken. You are accepted when I in him today. place quietly on the keyboard for just a minute. The altar is still open. We want to pray with you today, but I want you just to bow your heads for just a moment. Maybe you're here this morning and maybe, maybe you've never entered into that relationship with God. Maybe Christianity and knowing Jesus in a personal way seems so foreign and distant from you. Maybe you know about God. Maybe you've been to church. Maybe you've read the Bible. You've prayed, but the Bible said, Jesus said, we must be born again. Salvation is not just an intellectual decision. It's a spiritual decision that literally transforms our hearts and our lives where we go from being lost to being found, from being blind to where we can see. It's a place where our sins are forgiven. We turn from our sins and we turn to God and we accept Jesus as the one who died and rose again. So if you're here this morning or maybe you're watching online and you've never made that decision, today you say, Pastor Keith, I want to be born again. I want to accept Christ. I want my sins to be forgiven and my future to be secure in Him. I want to know God. If that's you, I want you to do something really simple with me this morning. I want you just to raise your hand. Just a simple act of faith. Today, I'm raising my hand. Hands are going up as you raise your hand right now. Our ushers are going to come. They're going to slip a little packet in your hand. Just raise your hand. Just hold it high right now. I want to accept Christ today. I want to pray to know Jesus. Our ushers are going to give you that little packet. I'm going to pray with you in just a minute. But if that's you today, slip your hand up. Today I want to know Christ. Today I want my sins to be forgiven. Today I want to be born again. We're going to pray this prayer together. I'm going to ask everybody in the room to say it with me. But if you raised your hand, this is for you. So let's say it out loud together. Everybody in the room, dear Heavenly Father, I believe. Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose again on the third day. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and my life. 
be my Lord and my Savior. I receive you. I receive the forgiveness of sins. And I receive the gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. If you prayed that prayer, the Bible says if you believed in your heart and confessed with your mouth and you got born again today, on the front of that little packet, there's a little card. If you take a moment before you leave and fill that out, give that to one of our ushers or lay it on that back table. I, again, personally, Kelly and I would love to follow up with you. We'd love to help you take those next steps in following Jesus. We do love you, and we're thankful for you being here today. Welcome to the family of God. Amen. What a beautiful thing. Well, I want to just close this in prayer. The altar is still open. These are here to pray. Father, we ask you today to go with us, go before us. And God, let us live with purpose today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you this morning. You're dismissed. Have a great day in the Lord.